0: Thank you for this gorgeous day out for bringing us to your house safely pray that uh you'd open our hearts and minds to this wonderful truth i pray that uh, we would work through it and there are some things here that are difficult for us in our fallen state to comprehend and understand and help us to allow that to be a mystery but that which we can know i pray that we would in christ's name Amen. amen um last week we started what we've been promising to talk about for many moons and that is the doctrine of election predestination and election to be exact and um, it's one of those topics that's in the Bible so you got to deal with it um, you can't skip around it that's one of the things about going through the doctrines of salvation and Christ and the God and all that is you can't skip pieces you don't like um, somewhere along the line you're going to have to ask these questions and uh, there's a lot of opinions on this there's a lot of uh, confusion on this and I think last week I also said quite honestly that even though we may study this and there may be people have a different understanding of how this all works out. Um, this, this is, that, that's just the way it is. This is a tough doctrine. This is not for people that, uh, you know, just want to scratch the surface. you got to go a little bit deeper here. And uh, there are different opinions on this, and um, quite honestly, they're all going to heaven. Some of them think they're going to heaven because they chose God. Others go to heaven because God chose them, but they all get to heaven. All right, so that's... Uh, Someone asked, uh, someone said when they were talking about this, they said, well, you know, what's the difference between someone who believes in the doctrine of election and someone who don't? She said, well, wherever you land on this, one thing's for certain. The people who go to heaven are the ones who believe, right? So whether you're a Calvinist or an Arminian or any, and we'll define those terms, anything in between, the people who go to heaven are the people that believe. Um, And I believe that. Um, I'm going to heaven because at one day in time I believed the gospel. I believed... That Jesus was my Savior. And, you, and uh, believe, you, have faith, right? you have faith, And if
1: you have faith, you believe.
0: Yes. Yep. And the question is, where does that faith come from? We'll talk about that. But uh, last week, we just started talking about this particular doctrine. I'm just going to um, skip through these first slides really quickly, just as a review, for many who weren't here last week. Um, it is a hotly debated topic in theology. There's a lot of books written on this. Um, and really, this impinges a lot of things. It impinges on the nature and character of God. It impinges on what do we understand salvation to be and how do we get it. It, under, it impacts evangelism. Um, there are people called hyper-Calvinists, which are, is a bad term. But they say, well, look, you know, if somebody's going to be saved, they're going to be saved whether I witness them or not, so I don't need to witness. Well, how would you answer something like that? Bible says we're supposed to be a witness. We're part of the. We're part of the process. So don't hide under the rock of, uh, of sovereignty of God to say I don't have to witness because if they're going to be saved, they're going to be saved anyways. Paul didn't say that, right? He said I, I persuade men. He he spent his life in missionary service to persuade people of the truth of the gospel. So don't don't go there. Um, it impacts our understanding of eternal security. In what sense? Well, some denominations and some um, forms of christianity believe that you can lose your salvation if you sin if you believe in jesus but then you fall back into a pattern of sin you can lose your salvation and i think the best answer to to that question is if you understand it from the scriptural and from the eternal perspective you didn't do anything to get it you can't do anything to lose it it's not up to you it's up to god who keeps us and the bible says we are kept by the power of god it's not our power that keeps us it's the god's power that keeps us and he knows He knows it. It's our understanding of redemptive history, our understanding of the nature of man and sin. We talked a little bit about this when we talked about um, the doctrine of man. Um, There are some that uh, would, for instance, say that although you are sinful, you're not as sinful as the Bible may tell you that you are. For example, they would say that even though a man is a sinner, there's still a residual ability within himself to respond in and of himself to the gospel. To salvation, to gospel truth, to the truth of Scripture. Man has it within his own ability, apart from any work of the Holy Spirit, apart from anything that God does, he has it within his ability or within his nature to choose God. Well, what does the Bible say about us? Well, it says we're radically depraved. In fact, Romans three, ten through eleven says there is no one who seeks God. We seek God for what he gives, but not for who he is. No one seeks God. No one is after God. And we're going to look at those passages. It, under, it impacts our understanding of God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. And um, this is where you've got to be a little schizo on this. God chose, but we're responsible. How do you put those together? I don't know. I've not figured that out yet. Maybe after this class somebody will have figured it out and you can tell me how it fits together. Um, we don't know. That's one of those mysteries. That, what, what did Christ say? Christ invited people, said, if you would come unto me, you could have eternal life, but you won't. You won't respond. You won't believe. So there, there is a mystery there when we look at this topic. Um, what is it? When we talk about predestination election, what is it? Um, it's, it has to do with God's determination eternity past of who would and who would not be saved. Now you say, that, that doesn't sound fair. Well, remember something. Um... Something's fair because God does it. God doesn't do it because it is fair. God's the definition of that. And unfortunately, when you look at the scriptures in the New Testament, we're going to look at a lot of these. We're not going to skip them over. We're going to look at them. Um, The New Testament clearly says that God chose you. It clearly says that. It's all over the place. We're going to look at some of those passages. No, we don't. So you don't worry about that. In other words, and how, and how? So you say, well, if I don't know whether I'm I'm chosen or not, how do I know whether I should believe or not? Well, do you want to believe?
2: Absolutely.
0: All right. Well, see, that that's the point. The, the point is, when we talk about this, there, there's an academic component that we have to look at from God's eternal perspective, but we can't allow that to keep us from doing what God has called us to do, which is to evangelize, which is to call people to repentance which is to preach the gospel. We have to go that route. We can't just say, well, I'm just going to give up because what will be will be whether I do anything or not. You can't go there. That's not, the mystery.
1: I mean, there can be people that don't even come to the church that are going to be saved. Yeah. So, uh, and they're not even practicing what we're practicing uh, trying to be closer to the word. But
0: yet no. Saved. Yes. At some point they will be, yes. We don't know who they are. That's why you're to evangelize. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So that's motivation. Right?
0: Yeah. You're part of the process. You understand that? Yes. We're part of the process. That, that's one thing that I really want to make sure we understand. We are part of God's sovereign eternal process. We're part of that. And we can't hide under a theological understanding of election by saying, I don't have to evangelize because, look, if that guy's going to be saved, it doesn't matter whether I tell him or not, he's going to get in you can't go there I'm part of the process I'm going to be held responsible by the way before God for my obedience to being an evangelist
1: so uh, if we have a duty then the duty would be to spread the good
0: news yeah absolutely that's the means whereby God brings the elect to salvation that's the means I want to be part of that Um, a good example of this if you remember the story of Esther remember Esther and uh, when she was talking to Mordecai Mordecai said you know Esther, if you don't go to the king, God's going to save his people, right? Because they're God's people. God's going to save them. Whether, whether you do anything or not, Esther, God is going to save his people. But how do you know whether God made you queen in order to save his people? And if you don't do it, you and your father's house are going to miss a blessing god will god will save his people that that's got and and understand that that's god's responsibility my responsibility is to do what god has told me to do so what god has told me to do is be part of the process you know when we had our german exchange students stay with us my understanding was if she was elect god would save her regardless of whatever i did but you know what i wanted to be part of the process I wanted to be one I wanted to be the one that shared the gospel with her. I wanted to be there when she became a Christian. I wanted to be part of that.
1: That's a good that's a good point though. I don't think we missed
0: that. We missed that because because what our problem is, we go too far down one branch or the other branch. And you can't do that. And that's one of the dangers we're going to talk about here. You can't shoot down this side and say it's all up to me. It's all my responsibility. Nor can you go down the other side and say I don't have to do anything. God's going to do it anyways you got it you got to stay in the middle and it's hard to do that <laughs> all right it's hard to do that but we're going to see how we can do that um the bible does clearly teach that god chose whom he will save now we understand this in this sense it's not that it's not that and we're going we're to be coming around to this topic many times it's not that god said i'm going to choose that person to go to heaven and that person to go to hell that's not what the bible teaches what the Bible teaches is that God in his sovereign purpose that he had in himself before time began chose whom he would redeem. Why did God do that? Because he wanted to, Ephesians chapter 1. How many people read Ephesians 1 and John 6? Did your homework. All right. We're going to look at those passages. All right. Why did God choose Alan Schaefer? Because he wanted to. No other reason. And, and that's, that's all that the Bible gives us. So the problem then becomes, on what basis does God choose? That's really where the debate is. Is it because uh, God knew that I would do something? Is it because God liked me better than the next guy? Is it because God saw something in me he wanted? Or was it just his own sovereign purpose that he chose me? We're going to look at that and work through that. Now we looked at this, we said there's some various positions, and by the way, I took all the different positions, just boil them down to like four major categories. These are just, there's all variations in between all of this, okay, there's variations here and there, but these are the four basic clumps um, of views on this. One, God has no idea who's going to be saved. All right, that's the open theist view. We talked about open theism back when the doctrine of God, doctrine of theology proper, (coughs) Basically what it says, God doesn't know the future because the future hasn't happened yet. So how can he know the future? God's uh, learning as he goes along. God's getting better at being God. But uh, God doesn't know the future because nothing's happened yet. So in that particular viewpoint here, God has no idea who's going to be saved. It's It's all a mystery to him. Now, he can influence that a little bit. But ultimately, God doesn't know who's going to get to heaven and who isn't. There is no book of life where your name is written down because God doesn't know whether you're going to make it or not until you make it. Um, there are some that say, well, God, God's omniscient. So they wanted God's omniscience. You know, they got, and God knows everything. So God knows who's going to be saved. Therefore, on the basis of Him knowing who's going to be saved, He then chooses those whom He knew would choose Him. You follow that? Since God, God knew that if you were given the gospel, that you would respond to believe. Therefore, God chose you on the basis of him knowing that you would choose him. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Get it? That's a little twisted.
0: All
3: right. But why is that twisted? Because, because, oh, because
1: move, yeah. under the premise of what you're teaching, of uh, what the uh, various positions are, that
0: uh,
1: people <coughs> will, will take that upon themselves. But uh, and, and some of us believe that very thing.
0: Yeah. Here's a question: in that in that system, who's sovereign? No, he isn't. You are. God's choice is based on something that you will do. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. God knows you'll do it, but it's still based on you doing it. Right, right, right. See how you can get twisted in this? All right, but ultimately, in that system, or that that belief, and that's a popular belief, by the way. It is. Um, God, God's. God reacts to what we will do so for example God knew that Paul if he appeared to Paul on the road to Damascus he knew that Paul would respond to the gospel and believe and on the basis of that knowledge his omniscient knowledge from eternity past on the basis of that omniscient knowledge he knew that since Paul would do that then he could choose Paul to be an apostle
3: Okay, okay look I got it you got it okay yeah, because I, I tend to want to wait until you get to where I know you're probably going to get to with the scriptures to support yeah. this and that. And so I was trying to wait, but because of, I'm trying to, so, yeah, yeah. What I'm trying
1: to do is understand the same thing you are, because I think the same way as what he was just saying, what you believe and that is, if we practice well, then we will be received as much.
3: Oh, um, okay, I might or might not have just followed that. But what,
0: <laughs> you can get your brain twisted on this stuff, folks. This is a tough okay, topic.
3: Listen, hold, what I want to say is, seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is here, Isaiah. Mm-hmm. It is not his will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Uh, for God so loved the world, mm-hmm. God's omniscience does indeed know what's the past, present, and the future. Yep. My decision, in my case, when I was eleven years old, mm-hmm. to accept the Lord was my decision because otherwise we are automatons, robots. That get our strings pulled and nothing is our own real will, it's God pulling puppet and, and hopefully nobody believes that, hopefully we believe that we accept the Lord based upon our choice to do so, I personally still believe God's omniscient therefore knows the future, I personally believe that God's sovereignty doesn't have anything to do with my choosing to accept or not accept him, that's got to be my will, otherwise if it's not, it's him pulling the puppet strings and being picky and thus we have to rip out of the Bible. It is not his will for any to perish, but for all the, co- we have to rip out of the Bible, seek ye the Lord while he may be found, which coincides, however, with Jesus saying, I came to seek and to save that which was lost. You gotta take all the scriptures and therefore, I believe that we choose. Therefore, I believe that, I mean, my personal view is the one that you just said is twisted. I don't see it as twisted.
0: Okay. Well, we'll work through that. And we'll see at the end of this if you still believe that. Okay. All right? Now, now listen. Now, now look.
1: Paul is an example. I mean, he was, he was well, killing everybody, more or less.
0: But here's something that Sammy did. Sammy did say. She said a lot of true things, right? Yes, she did. The two things is at 11 o'clock, yeah, 11 o'clock,
1: <laughs>
0: at 11 years old, she believed. That's true. That's true. But why did she believe? That's the argument. That's the argument. The argument is not that she believed. Of course she did. And by the way, this understands something. No one gets to heaven unless they believe. All right? You're not going to be elect and get to heaven and never believe in Jesus. It doesn't operate that way. But I, I all right. it the
1: same way by, as she does. But,
0: but we'll work, we're, and we're going to work through this. And we're going we're to look, and, and something else she said very important, all the scriptures have to fit. That's
3: right.
0: You can't pick the ones you like and leave the other ones alone. You've got to fit them all together. And there's going to be, and we're all said and done, we're going to look at this and say, you know, I still don't understand exactly how it fits together, but I'm just going to take the scripture for what it says. Just
1: the canon.
0: Yeah. So you, you, there's a mystery here here. Yes. All right, so we'll work through that. Yeah.
2: No, I'm <coughs> Excuse me. I'm kind of jumping in here I
0: mean you know the, the Bible teaches that
2: God knew us before we were born.
0: Absolutely. Does God know who's going to believe? Absolutely. I believe that. He knows who's going to it, so there I believe that. He, passes, he okay, guys, here's but here's the argument here, here's here's what the argument is. You're getting there. Here's where the argument is. How does God know who's going to believe? is it just because he knows or because he chooses? Okay. Well
2: let's okay guys, here's the ones that are gonna believe. Yeah. Offer
0: history, here you go. We're gonna look through that. All right. We're gonna to get to the scripture here because I think once we get into the scripture we'll start sorting this out a little bit. Yeah. But but all right. But but understand understand this is a major... This is where a lot of people land. An
3: observation. Talking about these various positions, I think one of the things that we, because of who we are and the way we perceive the world and life experience, in a sense we have to force ourselves to look beyond the box of time. Right. But to try to get some inkling of God's perspective, we have to look beyond that box of time. It's like His perspective
0: is the eternal present. He doesn't have foreknowledge. He has knowledge of actual. Yeah. Well, he's. We're the ones who think of it in terms of temporal, temporal events. God does not see it that way. So that now that
2: totally muddies everything. That does. That does. And see. (laughs) Yeah,
0: and that's one of the big things that, that I hope you, that when we get done come out of this you understand that, that God sees things differently than we do so there, there's really two perspectives there's God's eternal perspective and then there's our perspective as we struggle in time with understanding what God's decree was there's two different things here alright and there's an apparent contradiction between them from our perspective being people of the box people bounded in time and space, there's an apparent contradiction. But from God's perspective, there isn't any contradiction. All right? So that's what we got to work through. I'm just saying that this is, this is a very popular viewpoint. It's also known as prescient foreknowledge, which means God knew ahead of time who would believe, because he's omniscient, he knows everything. All right?
3: Two words mean the same thing. It's
0: really prescient knowledge. Yeah, prescient knowledge. Or pres- yeah. yeah. Now, another viewpoint God doesn't choose anybody but he's pulling for you all right God never chose anybody to be saved but he's pulling for you You know he's doing everything he can he's not willing that any should perish you know he's he's dangling the gospel out there hoping that somebody will bite hoping that someone will respond Um, when we talk about Arminian we're talking about people who believe very much in the responsibility of man it's up to you to believe it's your choice. You believe. Um, God calls you to, make, uh, to exercise faith and believe. And therefore, if that's the viewpoint, then salvation is something that's left up to the evangelist and up to the recipient, right? Yes. So if I, you know, if I walk by somebody on the street and I don't stop and give them the gospel and they go to hell, it's my fault because I didn't share the gospel with them because maybe they would have believed if I would have done that. You know, it is. It's I mean, a clump. I, I mean because the way I understand this and I I've I've studied this a little bit myself like <coughs> excuse me. You know, free time.
2: And I and I don't know it all either. Um but um the way I am learning it personally is just that it goes back to, you know, your saving faith, your your free will to accept Christ. Like we all ah, free will go so down to you know, the altar call, mm-hmm. you know, we all have the altar call or or that personal experience with God where we accept him as our personal savior and that is
0: where the argument is. All right, well, we're going to talk about free will and whether you really have one or not, but we'll get there. So we're very... I'm sorry, We're it's taking a little while to get through all of this stuff. We're going to get there and we're going to talk about Peter and we're, we're going to talk about all these passages. We're not going to cover them up, but we got to work through to get there so yeah. we can see how this all works out. What I'm just looking at, these are the clumps. These are are the various positions, alright? By the way, Charles Finney, who founded Oberlin College, fell into this somewhat. He believed that he could persuade anybody to be a Christian. He was a lawyer. He felt that if he gave them a sufficiently logical presentation of the gospel, he could convince anyone that they should be a Christian. And apart from the work of God, apart from the Holy Spirit, he could talk them into it. Um, which is sort of a dangerous position to take. Um, then there's sovereign election. And, I'm, you know, I'm going to argue that this is really what the Bible teaches most clearly. God chose who he would save by his own will. Why did he do it? Because he wanted to. That's the only reason we're ever given in Scripture. It's God's sovereign purpose. All of those are going to have to fit together. All right, so we're going to work on that god then affects the salvation of those whom he chose not god not only chose. this is the point god not only chose whom he would save he chose how he would save them he made sure that they had the gospel presented to them he made sure that the conditions were right for them to come to him that's part of the plan of god and this is the basically the viewpoint of those who we call calvinistic if you ever hear that term calvinistic that's basically the calvinistic viewpoint all right so let's look at these a little bit in in more detail and hopefully we'll get to John 6 today because I think that'll help sort some of the or begin to help sort some of this out the Bible clearly teaches that God knows the end from the beginning the idea that you know God has no idea who's going to be saved that's clearly not in scripture right I mean that's that's without saying Um, if God is omniscient he knows everything therefore he knows who's going to be saved he infallibly knows the future we don't have to worry about that well that's that's a good question you know essentially I was listening to somebody say you know he's heard the doctrine of Christ assaulted the doctrine of the Holy Spirit he said I never thought they would attack the doctrine of God by trying to get rid of his omniscience Um, it's beyond me that they would they would do that Um, what about this concept of God's choice based on my choice well it keeps intact the doctrine of God's omniscience right because he knows everything so we don't have to get rid of that He knows who's going to respond to his offer of salvation on that basis he can then choose them for a particular task maybe he knew Paul would believe so therefore he could choose Paul to be an apostle things like that some of the arguments for this position I'm going to I'm going to sort of quickly go through these a little bit because we're going to when we start going through the actual text I think it'll sort out the John 6 in that text Um, it keeps intact God's omniscience um, it seems to be supported by the whosoever will passages in Bible, right? There's a lot of those. Um, Romans 10, 9 through 13. Whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved, right? Is that a true statement? Sure. Absolutely it is. The question is, who's going to call on the name of the Lord? The elect. the elect or the non-elect? That's the question. Understand? We're not debating on that passage, whosoever, because that's a true statement. Whosoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. And that's, what, that's one of the things we talk about here. We talk about the general call. You ever hear that? The general call and the effectual call. You ever hear those two terms used? All right, we're going to talk about those theologically here in doctrine' of Salvation. What's the general call? The general call is whosoever will may come. That's the general call. Who's that given to? Everybody. When Christ ministered on, the, on this earth and he preached, he, he, many a time he said, if any man thirsts, let him come unto me. If any man thirst, that's the John 7. I'm the bread of life. Um, that was a true statement. If you believed on Christ, you would come to him. The question is, who are the ones that would believe? That's, that's, where, the rub, that's where the rub is. <coughs> Excuse me.
1: All you would like come to me.
0: Because he didn't say it that way.
1: Because in order to spread the good news,
0: I don't understand what you're getting at well, there.
1: If you just have the elect uh, call upon the Lord, then uh, and they, uh, you would have all the people who are not elected, and so therefore would they not call upon the Lord?
0: No, they wouldn't. The ele- non elect will not. We're gonna we're gonna see that in John six, all right? But the point is, and this is the point: there's a lot of passages in the Bible that says. Whosoever will may come. And that's a true statement. I believe that, by the way. I believe that. I believe that although I believe in God's sovereign election, and eternity past, I don't know what the book of life looks like and I don't know who's in it. All I know is that when I share the gospel, I can say whoever wants to come to Christ can. I don't know who the elect are and who aren't. I'm not to know that. That's, that's a true statement. I can believe that. Yes?
2: Yeah. Worry about it, but, I mean, as to debating and figuring it all out. Know, but I do really question, though, is um, if God wants to save everyone, how, why
0: did he get not choose them? I mean, because he wanted to. He, he chose whom he would. I mean, I mean, here's a point. This is an interesting point in, in Romans 9, which is another naughty passage that we'll look through. In Romans 9, it says, that It is not a, the will of him who runs but it's God who chooses, all right? It's, it's not, it doesn't depend on the person, it depends on God who chooses. We're going to look at those.
2: Right. It's who God chooses,
0: but You're going to get a headache the, when you think about he it. Wants all
2: to be saved.
0: The question there is who is the all, and what does it mean, what does will mean? What does all mean? Yeah, what does all mean, what does will mean? And in, in the context, we can define those. We'll get to there, okay. all right? We'll get to that passage. By the way, this is the difficult thing when you come to this. You've got to make all the verses fit as best you can. You can't just pick the ones you like and leave the ones alone. But there are the whosoever wills of the Bible. They're there. If any man shall call on the name of the Lord, he shall be saved. Revelation twenty two seventeen. The spirit and the bride say, come. Let him who thirst say, come. And drink of the water of life freely. There's, there's, there's a general call if there ever was one. If any man thirst. The debate is, who are the people that thirst? All right? So it, it, it seems to... It's supported by the whosoever will pass. And there's a lot of people that really camp on those. All right? Um, it seems to be congruous with the command for men to repent and believe, right? Because Christ said, repent and believe. That was a command. Uh, Acts 17.30. It said, God in times past overlooked men, but now he's commanded men everywhere to repent and believe. Um, Acts 16.31. The... The Philippian jailer, what must I do to be saved? Repent and believe, all right? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved in your house. So it seems congruous with that command that we have from the scripture that men are to repent. The question is, who are the ones that will repent? That's the question. Do you understand what's going on there? we'll maybe sort it out a little bit better here it seems most consistent with the fairness of God, right? Because what does the Bible say? God condemns those who will not believe and he saves those who will believe. That seems consistent, right? If you believe, you go to heaven. If you don't, you go to hell. It seems congruous with God's fairness from our perspective. So there's a lot of arguments that along those lines. And by the way, I, I believe this. Why does a person go to hell? Because they won't believe. That's why they go to hell. We already talked about that. They refuse to believe. There's, there's no question on that. It seems most congruous with the command to evangelize the lost, right? Why do you evangelize the lost? Because you're given the general call to people to come to Christ. You're calling them to salvation. And we evangelize. And that's part of our thing our church does is evangelize the lost and call them to repentance. Romans 10, 14 through 21 talks about this. How should they hear without a preacher? And how are they going to hear unless one goes and tells them the the gospel? So there's a command throughout Scripture that we are to go and share the gospel so that people can repent and believe. And it seems most consistent with the biblical teaching that men must exercise his will to repent and believe in Christ in order to be saved, Acts 2.38. Repent and believe. What did Peter tell the crowd there on the day of Pentecost? Repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the remission of sins. It's a call to repentance. Christ called people to repent, right? He called them to believe, repent, turn from their sin. And the Bible consistently calls men to do that. The question is, who are the ones that are going to actually do it? That's that's where the question is. It's not that God is calling men to repent. The question is, who will be the ones who actually do the repenting? That's where the, the big argument comes in. However, there are some questions that you're going to have to deal with when you go down this position here. One, what do you do about all those passages that God says that he chose them? God says he chose. Um, Ephesians 1, 3 and 4. We can look at some of these here. Because remember, what's what's our goal? To make all the verses do what? Fit. Fit. That's our goal. All the verses need to fit together somehow. I can't pick the ones I like and leave everything else alone. Um, Ephesians 1, 3, and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. When did God choose us?
3: Well, he chose us before the, before the world was ever created, but he did it because of his living outside of time, and he knew... In or 1955, I was going to accept him. Okay,
0: that's, that's, that's one way to understand it. The other way to understand it is God chose because he wanted to. There, that's that's, that's where we're going to argue. That's, that's really the question yeah. there, okay?
3: Is, no matter how much I learn from this series, it's going to be hard for me to say God chose me because he wanted to, which therefore rules out he wants everybody to be saved. And it rules out.
0: Well, if God wanted everybody to be saved, what could he do?
3: Well, yeah, but he could
0: save us. He could save everybody, right? If I really wanted that. He could save everybody. He's, a, he's omnipotent, isn't he? wouldn't be then anybody's
3: choosing. He wouldn't have
0: free will. Well, we're going to talk about free will here. All right. We'll get there. Yeah. Here's another passage, 2 Timothy 1.9. It says, Who saved us and called us with a holy calling... Not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. He saved us not according to our what? Work. Would you say that believing is a work? Something you do? First Timothy 1.9.
3: 2
0: Timothy nine. excuse me. 2 Timothy nine. It says here, who saved us and called us with a holy calling, not because of our works, not because of anything we did, but because of his own purpose and grace, because of something he wanted, his own purpose, his own grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before time began. That verse has to fit there somehow. Um, Titus 1, 1 through 3 is another one here. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth which accords with godliness in hope of eternal life which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began. Who did he promise it to? We didn't exist, right? So who, who existed before time began? God did. So God promised it to himself. God promised it if, if you, I think probably the best way to understand it is God the Father promised it to Christ as we're going to see here as we look at, Rome, at John chapter 6. And at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching which I have been trusted by the command of God our Savior. What was given to us in time past was evidenced in time by the preaching of the gospel and our response to it. It was based on a choice that God made before time began. First Peter 1 Peter 1.2 is another one here. I'm just trying to show you I'm not making this stuff up. Um, and all the verses have to fit. First Peter 1, 2. According to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for the sprinkling of his blood. Now notice, we've got to understand verse 1 here. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to the elect. He's writing to whom? The elect. All right. The exiles... Spursion and Pontius Galatia, Capitals, Asia, and Bithynia, who are elect, well, how, according to the foreknowledge of God. And so what happens then is people say, oh, okay, that explains that God just knew ahead of time who would believe, and therefore he chose them. The difficulty with that is to look at that word foreknowledge. We're going to do this a little deeper later, but just to give you an idea of what's going on here. That word there does not mean that God knows ahead of time. The actual Greek word means to choose ahead of time. And how do you know that? Well, if you go in the same chapter down to verse 18. Let's go to verse 18. Um, actually, verse 20. Well, let's start in verse 18. Knowing that you were ransomed from feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish or spot, he was foreknown before the foundation of the world what was made manifest in these last times for your sake. That same word, foreknown, there is the same word back in verse 2, foreknown. So, what you have to say, if you want to be consistent, is that if God looked down the quarters of time and saw that you would respond to the gospel, and there up front, on that basis he chose you, then at the same way, God looked down the quarters of time and saw that Jesus Christ would actually do what he came to do, and on the basis of that, the whole salvation thing will work out. Because he actually did it. Christ was not the Lamb of God in a hope so sense before time began. He was the Lamb of God in the actual sense. He could not. So the word means the same in both cases. So in one case it means he was ordained before time began to be the Lamb of God. In the other verse it also means the same thing. I was ordained. I was elected. That was a choice before time began based on God's own sovereign grace and purpose. Yes, that's what the word actually means. So the, the problem with this position is you've got you to make these verses fit, and they're a little bit hard to do if you say, well, God chooses me on the basis of me choosing him. Um, it has a problem with man's depravity. What do we mean by depravity? You're darkened. Your spirit is darkened. You take the average pagan out there is is a person who does not know the Lord, who is an unbeliever, are they seeking God for who God is? no they're not right Romans three ten tells you that they are enmity with God Romans 8 says they're the enemy of God it, they're not friends of God they're the enemy of God what does Romans 5 8 tell you God commends his love toward us and while we were yet sinners he died for us we were his enemies we're not seeking God we're God's enemies and therefore no one in and of themselves apart from a work of God is going to ever seek God God's got to do the drawing. God's got to take the initiative. The same thing as in 1 John four ten. We love him because he first loved us. He takes the initiative, we respond. But if he doesn't take the initiative, we'll never love him. right. Romans three Romans two, one through two talks about depravity. Second Corinthians four three through four the God of this world has blinded the minds of them who do not believe lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ should shine in. Men are blind. Men in and of themselves are blind to spiritual truth. They cannot understand spiritual truth. They are darkened to it. They will never choose God for God. They might seek God for some goody that God is going to give them, but no one's going to seek God for who God is. No one.
1: Are we more likely to see mercies and blessings because we do
0: believe? Yeah, probably. All right, and then here's another thing. Here's the other thing. We talked about God's absolute sovereignty. What does that mean? God's in charge of everything. God is in charge of everything. And one of the difficulties with this position is it's hard to, to um, match up God's absolute sovereignty in creation with Him responding to something I may or may not do just because He knows I might do it. It's like God puts His grand experiment into play and says, I hope somebody believes along the way in spite of their depravity, I hope they believe because if not this whole thing's not going to work out. Um, God is not subject to his creation. God is absolutely, totally, completely in charge of everything in the universe. He is, because he, he is outside what? He is outside the boundaries of space and time. He, we talk about sovereignty. God is absolutely 100% sovereign. And God's program does not depend on me doing anything. Ultimately. It will happen. Yes. And that answers his question because he said that because of our accepting him that we have what did you say? Blessing. Blessings. But there's a lot of people that believe in Christ and live a very godly life and there's just turmoil and because we're looking at it from our little time box, aren't we? We're not looking at it from the eternal perspective, which is totally different. What he said was the opposite. He said, does that mean we get more mercies than blessings? Isn't that what
1: you said? Well,
0: it, We receive mercies than blessings. We receive blessing because we know, yeah, because now that we're his friend, he's going to, Romans 8 talks about that. So that's reassurance
1: for us. Right. That's a way to communicate. But that
0: doesn't mean that I get it all down here necessarily. That's what she's saying. I might not get. I might become a Christian and lose everything. But I gain it all in eternity. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, the other part of uh, his thing,
2: or his question, <coughs> is that as Christians, we understand that sometimes the trials of
0: religion are, yeah, them, are a blessing. Yeah. Then themselves are a blessing. That sounds weird, but yeah, it is. Okay. All right. <clears throat> so this you have difficulty with this viewpoint, trying to reconcile God's absolute sovereignty with it, because you've thrown in the component of His sovereignty is bounded by my choices, all right? You just got to you see, you gotta work through that. All right, here's another thing. It robs God of his glory. You say, wait a minute, how does it do that? Well, ultimately, if this is a valid position, when we get to heaven, why are you there? Well, why
3: no, you're, 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 you're waiting to hear the answer, because I chose God, therefore that's why I'm in heaven. But I don't agree
0: there are those that do agree with that
3: there are probably yeah I, I can there
0: are those that agree you're, you're the oddball on that one All right. but there are those there are those that say well I get to heaven because I believe God I was smart I was bright I I saw the truth I responded I get there and if there's anything that Romans 3 tells us is that everybody gets there by grace you know there's no, there's not gonna be any boasting in heaven
3: yeah Ephesians 2.89 so yeah that's why I don't what you are, I, I agree: with Some you, people that go some some this way, that and
0: again, what I'm doing I'm, I'm saying there's a lot of, there's a whole spectrum on this. There's a whole spectrum, and not everybody believes everything here,
3: right.
0: OK? But there are some that do. Some, yeah. There are some that do. And, and the whole thing is that God designed in his omniscience, he designed a salvation where nobody could boast. Nobody could get to heaven and say, I'm here because I am a nice person and God would really like liked me better than somebody else. Nobody can get to heaven and say that. We're all there by one reason only, and it's by the sovereign grace and mercy of God. What about, yeah? I really want to get to John 6.
2: Yeah. You know, You've been reading Romans and, 9. You know, and, and, <laughs> yeah. And God told you, yeah. when i created. Yeah. Created, you
0: know. Yeah. So whether I like it or not,
2: it's not my choice.
0: We've got to go with what the Scripture says. Make all the verses fit. How about the God is pulling for you view? Well, some of the, a lot of the same, pers- same emphases is given. This might, maybe one difference is they really camp on this free moral agency of man. Now, we're not going to talk about this today, but one of the big questions is, well, I have a freedom of the will. I have a will that's free to choose or not to choose. The answer to that, according to the scriptures, no, you don't. You have a will that can choose, but it's not a free will. Because your will is bounded by what you are, your nature follow? Your will is bounded by your nature, by what you are. By, your, by, by virtue of you being a human being, you, you have a will that's bounded by the parameters of what it means to be human.
1: So we're predestined humans.
0: Alright, what do we mean by that? Well, I can choose between doing something bad and something not so bad, right? I can make a choice. But the scripture says if I am not a Christian, I cannot make the right choice for the right reason no matter what I do. Why is that? Because I'm God's enemy. Romans 8. I'll never do the right thing for the right reason. And even as we're Christians, have you ever, done, have you ever really could say that I've done something for the right reason, I've done the right thing for the right reason, 100% purity in my motives?
2: No, that's right.
0: Why? Because you have a will that's bounded by your limitations, your fallenness. And that's one of the great things about heaven is because we're going to be given a new will that's not going to allow us to sin. We're not going to be able to do it. We're not going to be able to sin because our nature is going to be changed. All right? So you have a real problem with this idea of man being a totally a free moral agent. If you mean by that you have the ability to choose, yes. If you mean by that you have the ability to choose anything for any reason, the answer is no, you don't. I mean, I went to Maine, and I could walk into a restaurant. I had the freedom to eat anything on the menu. But what do you think I did not eat? I hate it. It's gross. I'm not going to eat lobster. It didn't, even, it didn't even occur to me to eat lo- It never occurred to me, gee, I wonder how the lobster tastes today. I never even thought of that. You know, if it didn't have beef on it, forget it. I'm not going in there to eat, you know. Um, no. that's just my nature, that's what, now other people, no, oh, lobster, you know, the bigger the better, you know, um, no, forget it, you Wait, can eat the things, back, the you know, ocean. yeah, throw them back in the ocean, uh, you can go ahead and eat the things, um, but that's because I have a, I have a, well, I have freedom to eat anything, but one of the choices I'm not going to make is lobster, mm-hmm. that's not one of the, that's not on my menu, you don't like
2: seafood? I don't
0: like seafood, Donna does, I don't, all right,
2: Good for you, I know, but I don't like it.
0: And that's one of the problems with this man does not have a totally free will why we are deceitful this is interesting Jeremiah 13:23 is an interesting verse can the leopard change his spots or the Ethiopian change his skin neither can you who are accustomed to do evil do good that's right, I got spots. what is God saying there it's easier for a leopard to change his spots and for an Ethiopian to change his skin than for you who are doing evil to do good why it's not within you to do that That's not within your nature. Ephesians 2, 1 through 2 says we are dead in our sins. We're dead. We're a body that's dead on on a slab. We're, We're dead in our sins. Romans 8, 6 and 8 says we are enemies of God. It says the carnal mind is enmity against the law of God. It's not subject to the God. It can't be. They that are in the flesh, and if you look at the context of Romans 8, that's unbelievers. Any person who is in the flesh cannot please God. Your pagan, unbelieving neighbor cannot, under any circumstance, no matter what he or she does, they can never please God. It's not within their ability to do it. They can't do it.
3: Alan, the fact that we're uh, the heart is, you know, depraved and desperately, what's that? uh, The statement about the depraved not being able to do the right things for the right reasons, which therefore says, those who do the right things is for the wrong reasons, selfish reasons, what have you. I also apply that to the, save the elect, those who know the Lord. Uh, because even in the best case scenario, there is something by doing the right thing that we want to get from it.
0: Yeah, and that's one of the tough, that's that's tough. You're, you've made an absolute correct statement. Um, even those of us who believe it's hard to do the right thing for the right reason with an c- absolutely pure motive. We, for, we can. Theor- theoretically, we can. We can but but not, we don't always do that, don't we? Yeah, the, 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 we don't the, always do that. And that's the tough thing.
2: Alan, what does that
0: word um, mean? Measures up to. Makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what about sovereign election? I want to get to I want to get to John six a little bit here, folks. So you might as well open your Bible to that, so we can. Huh, I got two of them. Sovereign election. When we talk about this, the way the biblical I think the Bible teaches it, it's congruous with the biblical teaching that God has chosen those whom He would save. The Bible says that. Somehow you have got to make those verses fit. It's also congruous with evangelism. Why? Because evangelism is the means whereby God's will is worked out. All right. God uses evangelism as the means whereby the elect hear the gospel and believe. It's congruous with the biblical teaching of depravity. What does that mean? God has to do something to overcome your darkness. Because in and of yourself you're never going to see the truth for what it is. Why is it that I don't know if you've ever... Those of you who come to know the Lord, how is it that you've heard the gospel and heard the gospel and heard the gospel and it just bounced off? It didn't make... And all of a sudden, one day, it made sense. It uh,
1: happens
0: every day. One day, all of a sudden, wait a minute. Oh, oh. And you see it. Um, that's, that's congruous with this. It makes, it's God who does that, that work in you.
2: Yeah, but you've got to be careful what group you get into. That's That's right. Yep. And it took this place, Church of the Open Door, a long time to get me to understand that what I was taught for 15 years was a very fine line as to what was going on. Yep. Because I was in the balcony, and I walked out of this church when, when the pastor said that Jesus Christ is God, because the way that I was in, the way it doesn't teach the Trinity. They don't believe in the Trinity.
0: So, you've got sheep and. Wolves. Yeah, wolves. Yeah. Gotta be careful. Yeah. Um, it's congruent, it measures up with the biblical teaching that God has created all things for His glory. Why? When we get to heaven, why are we there? Because God chose us, and He, he gets all the glory, He gets all the credit. I don't get any credit for being there. Um, it's congruent with God's sovereignty. In what sense? God's choice is not based on anything anybody in His creation would do, God is not reacting. God is in charge. All right? Um, let's, this, let's look at this. And where I want to start, I want to start here in John 6. And we may not get all the way through this, but we'll get a start on it and understand what's going on. In John 6, Christ is, it's one of Christ's many um, encounters with the Pharisees. And this is right after the feeding of the 5,000. What happened is Christ, of course, fed the 5,000. And he, his disciples, they go across the Sea of Galilee... And what happens? Well, the people wake up the next day and Jesus is gone. And somebody says, wait a minute, I saw him going across the, the sea. So everybody gets in their boats and they go across the Sea of Galilee to find Jesus. And why do they want to find Jesus? Because of his great preaching? No. They want, more food. want more food. It's breakfast time. All right? And they don't want Jesus for who he is. They want Jesus for what he gives them. All right? Then Jesus gives them the bread of life discourse. This is uh, one of the great messages in the New Testament. And in here we see this concept of election from both the God's perspective and the human perspective. And then we see what binds those two things together, I think, in a way that's probably the clearest in the New Testament. What does Jesus tell men? What, 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 how does he start out? Well, if you look at John 6, and let's go there, John 6... In verses 20, 30, 27 through 34, and I'm not going to read all the verses. You can read them. Christ says men are to seek the true bread. He says, you guys are seeking the bread which perishes. What bread is that? That's the physical food he fed them. He says, you guys are seeking the wrong bread. You're seeking bread that perishes. You need to seek the true bread. The true bread of life. And, of course, what is he talking about? He's talking about himself. He's talking about eternal life. He's talking about the true bread of God. And they're thinking, what do you mean, manna? See, they're missing the point. They don't understand what he's saying. He's saying, you've got to seek the true bread. So there is a component of human responsibility, right? Christ is telling you guys, you need to seek the right kind of bread. Just like he told the woman at the well, you don't really want that water. You want the true water. All right? And then in John 6, 35, he says what? Well, those who believe... What happens to them? They get eternal life. John six thirty five. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me will never Be thirst. I'm the true bread of life, if anyone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Now, who's he talking to? Well, he's talking to the crowd there. If any of you guys will believe in me, you will have the true bread, and you will never thirst. So that's that's clearly a a call for them to believe. There's no doubt about it. Mm-hmm. However, here's the problem. Here's where the rub comes in. Men cannot seek the true bread because of what? Blind. They're blind. John 6:36. You know, you got 35, and then you got 36. It comes right after that. But I say to you that you have seen me and yet you do not believe you've seen the true bread you've seen the true water but you guys still won't believe you won't believe what you're seeing and why aren't you believing what you're seeing what well verse 41 through 59 if you look at verse 41 the Jews are grumbling and saying what does it mean I'm the true bread that comes down from heaven They're trying to figure this thing out but here's verse 44 or 43 Jesus answered and said do not grumble among yourselves no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him why is it we're called to seek we're called to seek for the true bread but we can't come unless what we're drawn what is that what is that talking about This is the drawing here. I mean, we understand it now as the Holy Spirit. But what Jesus is saying is, you can't come to me unless the Father is doing a work to draw you to me. Or you're not going to come because you don't care, because you can't see, because you don't understand anything I'm telling you. Because you're spiritually blind. You can't understand it unless the Father draws me. And then um, there's another one here.
1: 55?
3: I'm
0: trying to see it here with my...
3: 65. No
0: one... In verse 65, he said, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted to him by the... Honor. So how can you... Who comes to Christ?
3: Those who are drawn, but I believe that he draws. Everybody but, not everybody, will respond to the drawing. I ignored it tried to intellectualize my way out of it (coughs) as a young child and it it wasn't until i responded to the drawing i don't believe he picks and chooses who he's going to draw i believe he reaches out to every human being otherwise well
0: let's hold that thought yes hold that thought Talking about Judas there, he knew that Judas would betray him. Yeah. Well, here's the point. Here's the point of what I believe this is saying. All right, clearly from the text. You're to seek the true bread. All right, you're responsible, by the way, to seek the true bread. But unless the Father draws you, and unless the Father grants you the ability to believe, you will never believe because you will never see, because you'll never understand because of your darkness of your heart. So, it's not that it's not you taking the initiative to seek God, it's God who's taking the initiative to bring you to Himself. Because if He doesn't take the initiative to bring you to Himself, you'll never believe. Alright? So that's just, you hold that thought, just hold that there, because we've got to see the other part here too. Alright? But then there's the divine sovereignty component. There's two pieces to this. There's, God, there's our responsibility. We're, we're we're called, but then there's the divine sovereignty component. Look at John six thirty seven, all that the Father gives to me will come to me, and he who comes to me. I will know why he's cast out. Who is given to Christ by the Father? Who are the ones given to Christ? The elect. The elect. First Timothy or Second Timothy one nine. Titus, Peter. Christ is saying, everyone that the Father gave me, and when did the Father give them to him? Before time began. All that the Father gives me will come to me. So God's not going to give somebody to me that doesn't come to me. And everyone that comes to me, I will in no wise turn aside. I will not refuse. I will not refuse anyone that the Father gave me that will come to me. This is the divine sovereignty side there's the human responsibility side there's the divine sovereignty side God gave all I know is this God gave me to Christ before time began why because he wanted to and in time I wanted to believe I really did but why did I want to believe because God the Father drew me to him and God the Father gave me the ability to understand and believe and God granted me God the Father granted me the right to become his child i don't understand how that all works out i just got to go with what the text is saying here making it all fit let's keep going here those whom the father gave to christ will all come to him john six thirty seven, and all who come will not be turned aside all right so we have a group that the father gave christ they're all going to come to christ and those who come will not be turned aside now let's try to put these two things together In fact, this is it. Christ said, I did not come down from heaven to do my own will, but whose will? The The Father, the will of him who sent me. What is God's will? Right? What is God's will? It, It tells it here. Verse 38, for I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Well, that's the Father, right? And what is the will of him who sent me? And this is the will of him who sent me that I should lose nothing of all he has given me, but raise it up at the last day. God's will is, God the Father's will is, that all that God gave Christ, the elect, all of them will not, none of them will be lost, but they will be raised up at the last day. What does it mean to be raised up at the last day? Heaven, right? Glorification. The realization of our salvation. It is God the Father's will that everyone, every person that he gave Christ, in eternity past, will come to Christ. Those who come to Christ, Christ will not refuse. Rather, they will be raised up at the last day. But then look at this interesting thing here. For this is the will of him, of my Father. This is also the will of my Father. That everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. What's that? What's, what part is that? That's the human side of this equation. The first verse there is the eternal side. What did, what, from the eternal side, what is it saying? The eternal side says God gave Christ the elect. And he, and, and he gave them in such a way that it is will that Christ would effect the salvation of all those whom he chose. They would be raised up at the last day. However, it is also God's will that everyone who sees the sun, this is the time part, and believes in the sun will be raised up at the last day. They will be saved. Therefore, what conclusion do you draw on this? How do you put these two things together? What are these two groups? Are they the same group of people? Or are they two different groups? Is there a group of people that get to heaven because God gave them the Christ and another group that gets there because they believe... Or is the group that God gave to Christ the same as the group that believes? Alright, that's the question. And there are two groups here. The ones who God gave to Christ, those who believe on the Son. So, when you get to heaven, are there two different categories? There's those who are elect. That's the group that God gave Christ. There are those who believe. That's the ones who exercise their free will. Are they two separate groups? If they are, what does that imply about salvation? There's two ways. ways. No, that's not good. We know there's not two ways to salvation. How are we to understand it? There's one way. This is the mystery. This is what I'm trying to get to. This is the mystery. What is the mystery? The mystery is that the Bible teaches in eternity past, God shows them those whom He would save, the elect. He gave those as a love gift to His Son, Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ was the Lamb of God slain from before the foundation of the world to save those whom God gave him. That's God's side of the thing. The human side of the thing is everyone down here who sees the Son and believes in him has eternal life. But who are the ones who see the Son and believe? They're the ones whom God gave Christ in eternity past. And I don't understand how that works. I don't. I don't. I'm stuck I with what do. it says. I do. It's you just, think you do, but you don't. You well, think that, you do.
3: That could be because I'm certainly open and willing. More yeah. Than I've been sounding this morning, but <coughs> excuse it's, me. It's just so obvious to me that the way we got to be elected is because of his omniscience of knowing that I was going to choose it. Okay. And
0: it's okay. It's okay. <laughs> All right, let's understand something here. It's okay to believe that. You're not a heretic. Yeah, I know. All right. You're not a heretic. All right. This is the struggle. Do you understand what I'm trying to get at here? This is the struggle. Where I come down on this, and, and we're going to work through some more passages that push. I think will push you more towards my side than than your understanding. Okay. Because uh, there's more passages, folks. This isn't the only passage we're talking about. There's more of them here that we're going to sort through, but. Here's, here's the mystery to me. Why is it that I, Alan Schaeffer, am a Christian? Why is it that I believe? Because somewhere in eternity past, God chose me. For whatever reason, I have no idea why. But he chose me. And not only did he choose me, but he ordained where I was going to be born, the parents I was born to, the time in which I was going to be born He orchestrated all the events and circumstances of my life. Why was I born to Christian parents who went to a church that preached the gospel? All of those things are part of his sovereign plan for me. I don't understand that. And I don't understand why he chose me, but he did. And I know that as an eight year old child, I finally, when I was reading through my Bible one day, all of a sudden the light bulb went on. And I understood the gospel and my immediate response was to believe and you know what I believed I did but why did I believe I believe because God drew me to him God drew me through the Holy Spirit God opened my eyes to understand God gave me insight he did the work it's not me it was not my great intellectual ability to help me understand what the gospel was it was the Holy Spirit that opened my eyes so did I believe yes but I believed because He chose me. I love him because he first loved me. He took the initiative. And I don't understand how this all sorts out. For many years, I believed I chose God because, God chose me because he knew I'd choose him. I believed exactly what Sammy is saying. And the more I studied this, the more I understand, you know, that's not what I see here at all. I see that God chose me. I don't understand the mystery to this. And you're going to have to struggle with this. You understand that. You're not going to... When we get done talking about this subject, you're not going to say, oh, I perfectly understand it all. You're not. You may think you understand it, but think... soon as as You know, there was a time when I thought I understood it and I found out, well, no, I really don't understand it. All. There's a mystery here, folks. We've got to allow the mystery to percolate. And you may not wind up exactly where I am on this. That's okay. That's okay. Because, you know what, I may not have it totally sorted out. I, I think I do, but I, I may not have it totally sorted out. All right, this is a tough subject. We have to struggle through it. Um, next week we're going to be looking at Romans 9, Ephesians 1 and working through those passages and trying to get a handle on this. But take, here's, here's, if there's anything comforting, let's understand this. If divine sovereignty, if what I believe the Bible teaches is true, then... I can't do anything to foul this thing up. You know that? Because God did not choose me to be saved. God chose me to be glorified with him in heaven. Salvation is a step along the way. I can't mess this up. And every night when I go to bed, I just stand in awe of God's love for me. It, it, It humbles me to realize that I don't deserve anything from God. And yet he's given me wonderful all things. I, I don't understand this. We'll have to pick this up next week because we're out of time and they're going to be breaking down the doors to get in. Romans 9, Ephesians, Romans nine, Ephesians 1. <coughs> yeah. um, I, I, I agree with what you said because God told your parents that I am a survivor of one
2: thousand by proxy and I didn't find this out until six years ago dad, my mom, and my brother all died. But God could have stop the abuse that I was going through at any time. But he chose to let me go through it for some odd reason like to get me to where I'm at. Today. Yeah.
0: So let's close in prayer. Father, thanks for this time and thanks for this difficult topic and the discussion we've had. Help us to think about these things and be students of the word. In Christ's name, amen. Amen.
2: Your prediction was